So in this episode of First Cast, we are going to be talking about a uh, sort of a therapeutic system or intervention known as acceptance and commitment therapy. And I spoke about it last Sunday after church and during the adult education time, and I basically like threw a ton of information at, <laughs> at people to the point where they were like, what's going on? <laughs> so uh, somebody asked me after it, is there any way that you could possibly turn this into a podcast? And I said, yes, I will, tr I will try to do that. And I'll try to also simplify it a little bit so that it doesn't take us a full 45 minutes to go through it. <laughs> But anyhow, so I'm here with Lisa, and um, where I'm going to begin is with, you know, every sort of therapeutic system, every version of therapy out there, whether it's ACT or DBT or cognitive behavioral therapy in general, um, has some sense of what the underlying problem is that needs to be addressed. And acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT, is no different from that. And what it basically says is what holds people back frequently is that they have unrealistic expectations regarding health. Uh, for example, they think that um, a life without suffering is possible. And because they think that, they spend a lot of time trying to um, control and eliminate thoughts and feelings in the hopes that if they can just wrestle their mind you know, down to the ground and get it under control, or as soon as they do that, then they'll be able to do whatever it is that they are having difficulty doing, whether it's public speaking, whether it's having to do with sort of social phobias, whether it's, you know, really anything, um, you know, being assertive in conflicts, uh, whether it's flying on a plane, you know, you name it. So that's kind of the basic problem that people are facing is that they're, they're believing that um, they can't really do the thing that they want to do or that they're afraid to do until they've figured out how to get control over these fears that they have or these thoughts that they, ha they have. And accepted commitment therapy basically says, you know, your mind is not going to be under your control. <laughs> and so, and in fact, the more you try to control your mind, the more um, certain thoughts that you don't want to have or certain feelings that you don't want to have are actually going to be the thoughts and feelings that you do have. You're going to become even more entangled with them. And in the meantime, you're going to be putting off doing the things that you really want to do. So what they basically say is a better way of approaching this dilemma of, you know, how to live the life you valued is to learn how to accept these thoughts and feelings, these negative thoughts and feelings, or these distressing thoughts and feelings accept them as part of your experience, and then go ahead and do it anyway. You know, do whatever it is that you feel that you need to do, no matter how scary it is or how much it stresses you out, do it anyway. Um, so that's kind of like, that's the basic sort of thrust of this particular um, therapeutic intervention. Now, um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the solutions they propose to help people get to the point where they can do it anyway. Um, the first solution has to, is, is something that they call diffusion. And that's kind of a technical term. And what it basically means is learning how to experience, especially your thoughts, as not facts, but actually just thoughts. Their evaluations, their interpretations, they are perceptions. Um, but they are not necessarily the reality. 
Um, so that's the first thing is, is learning some different types of skills to get to the point where you, you interact with your thoughts differently. You don't necessarily buy them. You know, you recognize that they are just thoughts a lot of the time. The second thing is, you know, getting to a point where you really are able to accept the aspects of yourself, the anxious aspects of yourself, for example, or the sad aspects of yourself. You're, you're able to accept those things in such a way that they no longer stand in the way of your actually doing the things that you want to do, the things that would be fulfilling to you. The next solution that they propose or the next sort of set of skills has to do with something, and this is going to sound, I, I told people on Sunday, it's going to sound kind of mystical, but um, it has to do with learning how to contact the self. And, and what that means is people oftentimes have ideas about who they are that get in the way of their being able to act out their values. And yet, if we learn how to see ourselves differently, see ourselves more in the moment, or observe the way that we characterize and judge ourselves, a lot of times we can figure out ways to be more um, really out of our mind and in our, into our life. That's a, that's a phrase that they use in acceptance and commitment. We, it, it can help us get out of our mind and into our life, get, get us to the point where we're not just wrestling with thoughts all the time, but actually doing the things that we that we, that we want to be about. Sort of along those lines, um, one of the sort of fourth solution, if you will, has to do with contacting one's values. And this is really a process where, you know, people figure out, well, what is it that I really want to do or be? Um, there's this great exercise in acceptance and commitment therapy where they basically say, it sounds a little morbid, but where they basically say, what do you want people to say about you at your memorial service, because the things that you want people to say about you are your bedrock values. And there is something about when we're really aware of what our values are, um, it becomes much easier to, um, to do the kinds of things that are in alignment with them, as opposed to behaving in, in ways where we're really not, um, we're not behaving or we're not living in a life that's congruent with our values. And then the final solution that acceptance and commitment therapy proposes has to do with committed action. And that is, you know, learning how to really do things, um, how to commit to uh, plans and goals and tasks and, and things of that nature. Again, as, as part of this process of getting out of your head and, and back into your life. So what I did with them on Sunday is that I then walked through um, some examples of what these different quote-unquote solutions look like. And I began with cognitive diffusion. Uh, and people on Sunday, I think this really resonated with them. But this idea of you treat thoughts as passengers. So it's like you're driving a bus and um, you've got a number of different thoughts that are along for the ride. Now, if you stop the bus and you spend time trying to throw them off the bus, you're not really going any further <laughs> with whatever your sort of goals and plans and things like that are. But if you sort of understand that they're along for the ride, somehow they, they, they tend to lose some of their power over you. The other sort of metaphor that they like to employ with people is um, this idea of having thoughts versus buying thoughts. 
So you have a thought, but you don't necessarily buy into the thought. Um, and along with that, there's this great practice um, that I think is tremendously powerful. And that's learning how to sort of watch your mind and as thoughts occur to say to yourself, oh, there's a thought that, um, you know, I'm afraid of public speaking or I'm having the thought that I'm afraid of public speaking. It's just sort of framing and observing the thought in a different way so that you're, you're, you're naming it specifically as a thought rather than having the experience where you're like, I'm afraid of public speaking. You know, oh, I'm having the thought that I'm afraid. And by doing that, you begin to see, okay, that, that is a thought that is not necessarily a fact. So the, the next thing is this idea uh, of acceptance. And I think one of the best ways of summing up what acceptance is about is it sounds a little bit like the, you know, the thoughts as passengers on the bus. But acceptance looks like having and moving as opposed to not having and not moving. So it's it's basically this idea of like, okay, I'm going to accept that I'm afraid of public speaking and I'm going to, you know, public speak, <laughs> you know, as opposed to being like, well, I'm not going to public speak so that I don't have to be afraid of it. But at the same time, I'm not having the experience of doing it either, you know. It isn't like accepting somebody mistreating you, for example. Acceptance and commitment therapy is very clear. That is not what we're talking about with acceptance. It's more I'm willing to accept the fact that I have these thoughts and feelings. But again, I'm going to do whatever it is anyway. And this kind of gets us into this whole question of avoidance. So if, if acceptance is important and acceptance is the positive thing that enables you to move forward with your life, avoidance, experiential avoidance, is the thing that really holds you back. And I think acceptance and commitment therapy does a really good job of explaining to people why it is that avoidance is such a problem in a person's life. So say, for example, you're like, I'm terrified of public speaking. I'm going to faint if I ever public speak. If you never public speak, you will never know <laughs> whether or not you're <laughs> theory about fainting is correct. Because the fact of the matter is a lot of people think that they're going to keel over when they do public speaking, and they don't. It's very rare. So avoidance limits testing. Um, the other thing about vo avoidance is that it, it doesn't just involve like not moving and going, but it also oftentimes avoids, or excuse me, um, involves forms of self-numbing. So it's, it's one thing of avoidance is, well, I'm just not going to do any public speaking. It's another thing when avoidance is, well, I don't want to feel that way about public speaking. So I'm going to drink or do drugs or, you know, watch hours of TV or, you know, you fill in the blank um, in order to feel, not feel that, that feeling. Um, you know, so avoidance, you know, would be bad enough if it was just not doing something, but frequently it's a lot more complicated than that. And part of the reason why it's more complicated than that is that we don't just seek to avoid external events like public speaking. We also want to avoid any sort of negative internal events. And that's especially what causes things like people to drink or people to self-medicate or to do these things so they just don't have to have those thoughts or feelings. And the final thing about avoidance is that, and I think this is really important, is that 
it's ultimately such a demoralizing thing. Like when you are afraid to do public speaking and so you avoid it, it's not like you're fooling yourself. Like you know that, um, or you will tend to think of yourself as having done something that was, that showed a lack of courage. Mm. And you don't feel like a person who has, um, who is really sort of self-actualized. You're not going to, you're going to feel like that. You're going to feel like a person who really threw in the towel without giving it a shot. And that's not a good feeling, obviously. One final thing about acceptance that's important um, that acceptance and commitment therapy talks about that's important to understand. Um, acceptance is the antidote to avoidance, but it has to involve true willingness. Like you can't be like, I will accept these negative feelings, but I'm accepting them because then I won't feel them anymore. Like that's not <laughs> real acceptance. Like you really, you can't use acceptance as a way to control your thoughts, you have to sort of, and your feelings. You just have to be like, no, I really am genuinely going, I am willing to experience these things. And that's sort of like a, a key point of acceptance. You know, this isn't a bait and switch on yourself. These passengers are never getting off the bus. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just by telling them that you've accepted them does not mean that they are going to suddenly go away. So the next thing, contacting the self. Um, okay, so this is really the most complicated thing. That <laughs> I have to describe. So, Lisa, I want you to just chime in with questions. All right. <laughs> Here we go. So, in acceptance and commitment therapy, there's this idea that there we experience the self in three different ways. Okay. The first way is something that they call the conceptualized self. And this is the story that we tell about ourselves to ourselves. And it's often quite value laden. You know, like we're, mm -hmm. we become very attached to it. It doesn't have to be a positive story. It can be a negative story. But it's something that we've, it's an idea about ourselves that we have truly bought into. And it's oftentimes very rigid. And we typically find ways to maneuver ourselves in our life to continue finding evidence for this understanding of ourselves. Mm. So, for example... Say, and I use this example on Sunday, say our conceptualized self is that we are a very nice person. Well, say we say something to someone else and they burst into tears. And this is oversimplified, but um, our way of understanding their tears would be to say they are hypersensitive, <laughs> okay? Gotcha. Because our sense of ourselves, the story we tell ourselves is that we are very nice people. So it can't possibly be anything that we did. Okay, so that's the first sort of way that we encounter the self. We encounter the self as a story that we are that we tell ourselves, and that maybe at some point other people told us, and that we've mm -hmm. internalized. And oftentimes that is what it is. It's a it's a combination of those two things, and it's very rigid, and we are unconsciously doing things almost all the time to shore it up. Okay, so that's the first way that we um, interact with the self. The second way we can, and what's important for us to develop, is um, to, to uh, experience the self as an ongoing process. Now, what I mean by this is to understand that unlike the conceptualized self that has sort of decided what we're like, 
we are able to experience ourselves as someone who is in process, who is forming, constantly forming their character. This would be in some ways a little bit like the principle of sanctification in Christianity. It's like you're not a done deal. You're, you're, in, you're caught up in a process. Part of what acceptance and commitment therapy is looking to do is to strengthen this way of relating to the self because it can be a very helpful way of contesting the conceptualized sense of ourselves. For example, when we have, when we're able to sort of tap into that self as ongoing process, if we go back to the scenario where the person who thinks they're very nice has made somebody cry with a statement they've made, we would be able to experience their tears in a way that would make us begin to question whether we're really that nice a person because we'd really be able to um, not ignore the fact that that's happening. We would be, we'd begin to say, okay, this is part of someone's experience of us. What does this mean? You know, The other way that we can experience ourselves in acceptance and commitment therapy is uh, as a self that exists as a self, as they say self as context, which is a little bit of a complicated way of, of going to getting at this, this third way of experiencing the self. And, and what this is, is experiencing the self where the self is able to really observe the self. This is like, for example, in those diffusion exercise, when you can say to yourself, ah, I see my mind at work, you're able to observe yourself in a way that where you're really able to pick up on things that are going on with you. So, so to kind of go back over these, these three things again, so the conceptualized self is the rigid story that you tell yourself that is only apparently true. <laughs> it's apparently <laughs> true because you've engineered circumstances to, you know, and because you're, no, you're ignoring any evidence to the contrary. The self as ongoing process is the self that is, you know, interacting with the environment, observing the impact that you make on the environment and that the environment makes on you. And it's much more free-flowing, you know, and it, it's more of a growth model of the self. The self as context or the observing self, that's really about being able to, to look at yourself and to say things like, okay, I'm feeling myself getting angry. Like I, there's a feeling of anger. There's an angry thought. It's really being able to, um, to treat the self as an object to that that you're capable of observing. And the reason why this is important, it sounds kind of weird. It sounds like, wow, I'm treating myself as an object. It sounds a little bit weird, but there's something about when we begin to observe ourselves and we kind of move out of that first person experience of ourselves that is inherently soothing. Um, they've done these incredible sort of like um, fMRIs and stuff like that of the of the brain. And there's a big difference when we tell a story about something that happened to us versus we tell a story about something that happened to someone else. When we tell stories about things that have happened to someone else, no matter how bad those things are, we don't get this, the parts of our brain that are really sort of um, tapped into our emotions and strong emotions. Those are not firing to the same degree as when we tell stories about bad things that have happened to ourselves, which you know obviously makes sense. But when we interact with ourselves from the standpoint of this observing self, 
the parts of the brain that sort of fire up are the third person parts of the brain. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's it's a way of interacting with the self where we're able to be more objective. And because of that, we're less caught up, we're less reactive, we're less fearful, anxious, angry, things along those lines. So I hope that kind of makes sense. It's kind of <laughs> throwing a lot of terms around. Um, <laughs> And if there are any acceptance and commitment therapists out there who are just like, she is getting this totally wrong, my apologies. Um, so the, so because developing these sort of three, an awareness of these three aspects of the self are so important in acceptance and commitment therapy, they have, um, they've developed certain mindfulness practices that, you know, that serve to strengthen them. So the self as ongoing process um, what helps that is any kind of mindfulness practice that brings greater awareness to the present moment. So you're not going to start out necessarily with, oh, that person is crying. I wonder what that has to it, You You want to build this ability through doing things like observing your breathing, observing the sounds around you, um, anything that really helps you be in the moment with your environment and with yourself is going to be really important because it's going to get you away from that sort of idealized version of yourself that's mm. not necessarily attached to reality. So that's sort of how they recommend, you know, strengthening the self as ongoing process, that, that aspect of interacting with the self. Now, how you go about strengthening the observing self or the self as context is mindfulness practices that involve watching the mind in motion um, or mindfulness practices that help you learn how to name the mind in action. And the way I would describe this to students that I was working with is I would say um, to, to kids that had, for example, anxiety disorders and things like that, I would say one of your goals is to get to the point when you start feeling anxious that you can say, oh, there's my mind getting anxious. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. there's my mind having the thought that I can't do this. And when you get to that point, you really have such a different experience of those thoughts um, from when you're just like, I'm anxious, I'm getting anxious, I'm getting anxious. So there's my mind getting anxious. You begin to sort of develop a, a part of yourself that is um, that can be, that can experience itself as separate from the mind. And to put in Christian terms, I think this is one way of understanding the spirit, you know, the spirit is that aspect of herself that is not the body, not the mind, but yet somehow is able to um, help us come to grips with the body and mind in a, in a new and different way. The spirit is free. It's free of the body and mind. All right. So the last couple things are have to do with sort of values and committed action. And the basic thing here is, like I said before, when you know what you – when you're really conscious and you really know what it is that you want out of life, it can be a huge way to motivate you to go after things. Um, you know, the problem is a lot of times we get so worked up about the thoughts that we have or the feelings we have, especially the ones of sort of a negative, of a negative type, that we really forget what it is we value. But somehow tapping into um, those values can just can really motivate us in, in ways that, for example, trying to get rid of experiences um, just can't even hold a candle to. So 
that's why one of the things that acceptance and commitment therapy is very serious about is really helping people to say to themselves, to understand for themselves, what kind of life do they want to live? Mm -hmm. There's a couple of other things that contacting values can also do for people. So on the one hand, it's, it's great motivation. On the other hand, it can really help people develop what they call a helpful sense of discrepancy, which means that, you know, once you really have understood what your values are, you can be like, oh, yeah, not really living those, you know. And, um, and again, that can be a huge motivator. And you can begin to ask questions. Why aren't I living those? What do I need to do so that I can live those? Um, a third thing that makes contacting values really helpful is the way it can shift the conversation from negative one's flaws to um, positive things. Like most people's values are really pro-social. You know, most people are not like my value is to <laughs> be the worst person that I can be and screw over as many people as possible. That's just <laughs> not the case. You know, most people's values are things like I want to be a good spouse. I want to succeed at my at, in my profession. You know, I want to be a person who contributes to the world at large. Once you begin to focus on those things, you, you've really kind of switched the conversation in your mind away from, I'm afraid of public speaking. I'm going to freak out if I have to public speak. I'm a terrible person. Whatever it is the thoughts are that you typically think you have to get rid of in order to do X, Y, Z, you know, this focus on values has you know, can replace them to a certain degree. Finally, the thing about contacting values is it really can help strengthen that do it anyway attitude. You know, it's like when you know why you want to do something, it's just so much easier to say, okay, you know what, this is not going to be fun. I'm not going to enjoy this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because for example, I know that if I want to get, um, if I want to get ahead at work, you know, I'm going to need to do presentations and this is my value, and so I'm going to do it anyway, even though it's something I'm afraid to do. Finally, committed action just means um, developing patterns of behavior that work, that move the person's life in a valued direction. So there it's just really pragmatic. It's like, what do I got to do to move my life forward? Uh, you what know, are the concrete steps? What are the concrete yeah. steps? You know, I've contacted my values. I'm getting a better sense. I'm getting a more nuanced sense of who I am. I've learned, you know, I'm learning that thoughts are not facts and to have them along as, as passengers. I've accepted the fact that it is not going to be a pleasant experience to be, to do a presentation. Well, okay, now what am I doing? You know, what what's going to be sort of the big step for me? So next step and continuing next steps. <laughs> so Lisa, what do you think? What do you think about? Um... I love this approach. I love the idea that you can have thoughts mm -hmm. and then you can choose to disagree with them. Yes. Yes. And say, okay, this is the thought that my brain is offering me right now, but no. Right. I don't think that's, right. I, I'm not going to agree with that. Right. Um, I'm going to set that aside and I'm going to choose something else. Right. And I think, you know, having that sort of sense of like, and, and sometimes, I mean, one of the things acceptance and commitment therapy says is that you may not be able to set it aside. That's why they're the passengers on the bus. But there's something very powerful about being able to say, oh, that's a thought. That's not a fact. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily true. And it may stay with me. It may be a passenger on my bus, but I'm not going to interact with it anymore. 
I'll just uh, let it sit in the back and say 99 bottles of root beer on the wall and exactly, keep on driving. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 And I love the idea that we're not static. We're not yeah. fixed. Um, I, I think a lot of us escaped our teenage years thinking, okay, you know, once we kind of become adults and we become established, we're done more or less. Yeah. yeah. And that's not necessarily true. We are all works in progress and we can make positive changes. Right. Right. And I think there's something about, you know, um, you know, moving away from that sense of, I mean, the reason why, part of the reason why people get so attached even to negative self-conceptualizations is that it gives you this sense of control. I know who mm. I am. Mm -hmm. And it can be scary to say to yourself, maybe I don't know who I am. Yeah. But at the same time, especially because our self-conceptualizations are so often what gets us in trouble. I mean, you know, as with the, you know, I'm a very nice person example, I mean, people who are very rigid about that are oftentimes very difficult people to be in relationships with because mm. they will not admit that they are wrong about anything, you know? Likewise, people uh, for whom their self-conceptualization is that I am a bad person, you know, they will really struggle to see, you know, they'll be doing things that provide more evidence for that, but they're also going to really struggle to see those times when you know, they're doing things that conflict with that view of themselves. Mm. You know, so on the one hand, they're engineering circumstances so that it's like, I'm a bad person. I always make these mistakes. I'm always, you know, I'm a jerk, you know. But on the other hand, any evidence to the contrary is not being picked up. <laughs> right. You know, so they're not seeing that they're making a positive impact on other people's lives, you know. And I think one of the things that really intrigues me is this idea that you, you, strengthen the self as a as, as an ongoing process by learning the basics of mindfulness of being present in the moment it's like when you're in a com you know in a committee meeting or you're you're someplace and you've got just a few moments to sort of to yourself you know not that you're like that in a committee meeting sorry <laughs> but like say you're sitting at a bart station or something to just look around and try to find as many different colors as you can will really sort of root you in that particular moment. And there's something about getting good at that that can really help you contest these oftentimes very negative concepts of, of the self that we, that we, you know, have sort of married ourselves to. Such a simple thing to do, but not something that most of us think about most of the time. Yeah, and it's kind of, it's the baby step sort of, you know, you begin to you begin to look at the things that are around you, and then in time, you begin to look at um, the experiences that you're having in a different way. Mm -hmm. You know, as 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 having the possibility of different of different meanings of of providing evidence for different ways of seeing yourself. Yeah, you know? and I like. Um the part where you're talking about, about the fMRI scans and about yeah. the third person part of your yeah. brain lighting yeah. up. I think sometimes it's so much easier to have kindness and compassion for other people than it right. is to have for yourself. Absolutely. And so if you can achieve a little bit of that distance to stand and reflect on yourself and treat yourself yeah. as though you yeah. were another person. That's exactly right. It's much easier to be less hard on yourself. It's much easier to have compassion for yourself. Absolutely. And I think, I think a lot of what acceptance and commitment therapy is trying to do with people is to 
help them develop a sense of compassion for their minds mm -hmm. and for their, their bodies in terms of sort of the physiological experiences they have of anxiety and things like that. Um, you know, so that, so that it's, again, it's part of the process of, you know, not buying things, but not, you know, not buying thoughts, but also not getting entangled and caught up in this whole thing of like, I'm trying to control this thought and it's mm -hmm. not happening and what's mm -hmm. wrong with me. It's like, you know, nothing's wrong with you. It's like, this is how your mind behaves and your mind is trying to protect you. Like yeah. the, mi the mind has evolved to protect us and it uses fear and anxiety and anger and all these things as ways of, you know, keeping us safe. Um, and when you get to the point where you're able to almost thank the mind for its care yeah. for you, even if it's gone a little bit overboard, <laughs> you know, with the public speaking situation, <laughs> you know, um, then you really, you know, you really, um, you, you're really sort of inhabiting yourself in a very different, very different way. And, you know, ultimately that's part of what forgiveness is supposed to do for us in the Christian tradition. It's supposed to really help us to accept, you know, the reality of the human experience um, from a place, you know, other than sort of being in it, you know, yeah. attempting to defend it or being feeling guilty about it or what have you, you know. We're sitting here recording this on Ash Wednesday, the first day of Lent, and it strikes me that this is some really good stuff to be thinking about as we enter this season of self-reflection yeah, and yeah. a time of, you know, possibly turning around and changing our ways. Right, right. Yeah, and I think, you know, a big part of acceptance and commitment therapy is part of it is accepting who you are, you know, sort of so so letting go of like they have this great exercise where you, where they say, what would you be doing if you weren't spending all your time struggling with yourself? Mm. You know, so part of it is this, you know, is this sort of move to forgive the self, to understand the self, to accept the self. But you're doing that in the service of being able to live your values. Mm. So the idea is that maybe your internal experience of yourself, maybe it's changing a little bit, but a lot of it is sort of saying, okay, this is who I am. But your behavior can really change because you are um, b because you're you're focusing on it in a different way, and you're you're empowered to make those changes in a different way. There's a lot of hope in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I'm a big admirer of the of the person who um, was really one of the founding fathers of this particular um, therapeutic intervention. His name's Stephen Hayes, and I believe he teaches at the University of Las Vegas, I think, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and he's remarked that he himself has an anxiety disorder. And that's maybe one of the last things that I would say about this is that for people who struggle with anxiety, this is, I think this is a very helpful um, sort of therapeutic approach. And one of the books that I would recommend for people to check out if they want to, it's sort of a, the self-help version of ACT. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's called Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life. Mm. And it's 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 kind of it's got a workbook sort of aspect to it and good explanations. And it's um, but it's it's very worth checking out. Very cool. It's a good resource. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. I told we joked in a staff meeting that I wouldn't be able to re-give this talk unless there was somebody actually listening to me because it would seem too weird. So Lisa has been very patient. 
<laughs> no, this is great because I wasn't able to be there for the class. So now I get to benefit too. Awesome. Well, um, the next installment is going to be on the class that is coming up this Sunday, which is going to be on dialectical behavioral therapy. And there we're going to be looking um, sort of specifically at emotions and how to self-soothe and things along those lines. So I, look, I, I hope to see people there. More to come.